0: Midtown Detroit Studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: continuing our look at conservative and Republican thought and politics today, this time through a conversation with two local elected officials. State Senator Ed McBroom represents a part of the Upper Peninsula and State Rep Steve Cara represents Three Rivers in Southwest Michigan. They have very different ideas about the Republican Party's challenges and its path forward. They join us next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. To Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Today, we want to continue our conversations about conservatism and republicanism and where those two kind of ideals stand right now uh, in our country. It has been a kind of rough time to be a conservative, I think, right now and to call yourself uh, a Republican, a member of the Republican Party. Last month, we saw on November 8th during the midterm elections, a real surprise outcome. Given that Democrats are in control of the White House and of Congress in Washington, normally that would mean that uh, there would be a bit of peeling back of that power. Uh, Usually there's a pretty strong pushback, in fact, against the party in power during the midterms. It didn't work out that way, uh, especially here in Michigan, where Democrats not only kept the governorship, but also gain control of both houses of the legislature, something that hasn't been true here in Michigan for almost 40 years. Here's a measure of how difficult I think it is right now for some people who consider themselves uh, conservatives. When I ask many conservative friends if they still consider themselves Republicans, I get really interesting answers. Uh, and all of them kind of circle around the idea of, no, that they see serious problems with the way that the current Republican Party is interpreting their conservative values, enacting the things that they believe in. Today, though, we want to talk to two people who have to call themselves Republicans. They are elected office holders in our state and they were elected as Republicans to represent Republican ideals. We want to talk to them about what they believe conservatism is, what they believe the troubles are, translating those conservative principles into policy that uh, that voters will get behind or that uh, will affect Uh, the kind of things that they want to have happen uh, in our country. And we want to talk to them about what they think the fixes are for the Republican Party uh, as we now turn our attention to 2024 uh, and a presidential election uh, where no doubt uh, Republicans will have quite a bit of anxiety still about what happened here in 2022. A little later in the hour, we're going to talk with Three Rivers State Representative Steve Cara about uh, his view of all of this. He now chairs what's called the Grand New Party PAC, which is trying to push the Republican Party further to the right. Uh, It is trying to reimagine the party in the image of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, uh, among many other kind of losses for Republicans nationwide, Uh, He was one of the few people who won really big during the midterms. Uh, But right now, before we get to Steve Cara, we want to talk to a really different state Republican. State Senator Ed McBroom is a representative of the Upper Peninsula. And while he is conservative, he does not support the illegitimate idea that the 2020 presidential election was stolen, an issue that continues to kind of haunt the Republican Party. Uh, McBroom has been spending a lot of time trying to convince his own constituents uh, that the 2020 election was not somehow stolen and none of this of course has stopped him from easily winning re-election in the 38th district to talk about why he is a conservative what drew him to the Republican party and what he thinks of the current state of conservatism, and republicanism. Uh, we've got State Senator Ed McBroom here with us. Uh, Senator McBroom, welcome to Detroit Today.
0: Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for having me on today.
1: Yeah. So I want to start with you just uh, talking about whats uh, what it is that makes you a conservative uh, and therefore a republican. Uh, take us back to I guess the sort of formation of of those views and uh, and how you decided uh, those were the things that that you believed and wanted to to act on.
0: Well, I think for me, there's always been you know a lot of passion and uh, I don't know uh, enjoyment of American history, and um, I grew up very nerdy and spent a lot of time reading encyclopedias and <laughs> history books and biographies about our founders and uh, about things America's done and, and been and, you know, it's problems and it's good things. And so there was for me a lot of, you know, understanding about how our constitution was written and our declaration of independence and why America sought independence from England in the first place. And so that always grew into, um, You know, feelings that at times both Democrats and Republicans that I'd see in our government um, weren't necessarily following those precepts and that as they chose not to, that led to other problems that seemed to be most easily remedied if they would simply go back to the original documents and the original intentions. So I think that was a large part of the founding of my beliefs for conservatism and um you know, I, for me too as a as a Christian, as somebody who takes this faith very very seriously, um, I think the issues surrounding abortion are also very formative for me and um, affect my worldview in a very strong way and in uh, after I got out of college in 05 and was, getting involved with various things, but was and thought that someday maybe I'd run for office, um, you know, thinking 30 years, maybe in the future when I'd be in my 50s or 60s. <laughs> um, I um, got involved with Michigan Farm Bureau and had an opportunity one day to speak with uh, my current congressman at that time was Bart Stupak, who was a conservative Democrat mm-hmm. here in the Upper Peninsula. And, um, you know, I asked him, he's like, how, how is it that you chose to be a Democrat? He said, particularly... I hear your speeches in Washington regarding abortion and the pro-life side of things. And they're fantastic speeches. I, I love your passion, your your logic, your reasoning are all so sound, I said, but you're in a party that's completely antithetical to, or, or pushing antithetical viewpoints on that. And so he and I had a really interesting and good conversation on that. But I walked away feeling that I would rather be on something that's so fundamental to my whole world view, I'd rather tie myself with others who agree with that and then argue with them on things that are of secondary importance. And so I've never fit really well into the Republican mold um, on a lot of my viewpoints when it comes to finances and labor policy and education. I've bucked my party on, on those things many times, but. Um, chose not to disagree with them and argue with them on something that was foundational to mm-hmm. my worldview. And and I, and you kind of see how it worked out for Bart Stupak when he finally had to, you know, put his chips down and buck his party or choose to go with them. And, and that didn't work out well for him on the pro-life issues. So yeah. I, I felt like I made the right decision, but it hasn't always been easy.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I want you then to, to talk about... Being a Republican right now and, and how much of the things that you believe and the things that led you to want to be part of, uh, you know, uh, elected uh, government here in the state of Michigan, how much do you see reflected in the current Republican Party? And, and do you feel... Uh, like a lot of people do, like I said, that, that, that the party is somehow straying from, from its ideals and that one of the things that voters are, you know, seeking to, to, to correct or to punish, I guess, uh, is that, that straying, that what we saw last month was a reaction to the way in which republicanism has changed. How do you feel about that?
0: Well, to the first point, you know, I um, I feel that the Republican Party continues to have very broad cross section of people and perspectives, and and I still feel very welcome to be in the party with with that. You know, and truly talk about having a, a big tent um, practice, and and the more we focus on our foundational principles of of you know, strict constructionist interpretation of the Constitution. And the preeminence of family as a foundation for the for the country and for life in itself, and and a ascription to uh, valuing all life from conception to natural death. Um, I, I think the unity is still very much there within the party on those things. I would push back on you know your second point by starting with saying. You know even back to your intro a while back that I would disagree with the interpretation that the results of this year's election are some sort of repudiation or renunciation of the republican party or even a conservatism ideals we we did not lose in, in grand fashion I mean we had we barely lost the house we barely lost the senate um, and I would attribute those losses and and the lackluster performance which it truly was a lackluster election for us but not a not a disaster and not a grand defeat uh, i would i would attribute that lackluster performance to other things not to a repudiation of the party or of its ideals
1: mm. so so I, I do want to get into to, to some of those issues but but do you not feel like uh, the milestones reached here in the state of Michigan, uh, Democrats controlling not only both houses of the legislature but all three statewide elected offices. I mean, again, something we haven't seen in a really long time. You don't, you don't feel like that's a, a repudiation of of Republicans?
0: No, be, and as I said specifically, because if you look, it's those seats were barely lost, and since the losses there can be easily connected to some other very critical. Pieces of information. Um, I don't feel that we should take that as a renunciation. Now, do I think that we can learn a few things about how independents, in particular, and and, and those who um, are not, you know, strongly party loyal and, and will vote for whoever puts the R by their name? Uh, do we need to be paying attention to that? Yes, absolutely. I think that there's a, a critical lack of listening to that perspective going on within the party and but once again we didn't get um there aren't super majorities against us um like there was when the republicans um, won the 2010 election which Mm -hmm. was very clear um clearly a wave driven against uh the ideals that president obama at the time was pushing forward um so um I, i especially think that we have to learn to listen better and we have to learn how to recruit better candidates we have to be smarter with messaging and, and find candidates who know how to communicate better. Um, but I'm not I don't see this as a renunciation. And I think it would be wrong to interpret just barely losing a seat that lost this majority by just a few hundred votes. Yeah, it somehow. was very close. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, we're talking with the state senator, Ed McBroom. Uh, he represents the 38th uh, Uh, Senate district in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, We're talking with him about uh, conservatism and republicanism as a part of a series of conversations that we are having about the current state of conservatism and republicanism, especially uh, in the wake of uh, last month's midterm election results. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you as well. What do you make of the Republican Party here in Michigan? What do you think it stands for? Uh, Are you uh, someone who considers themselves a member of the Republican Party, an enthusiastic voter uh, on that side of the political equation? Uh, What kinds of policies do you want to see enacted? Uh, What do you think would uh, work better than what we're uh, than what we're seeing right now, not just here in Michigan, but uh, in in the country as a whole. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, before we get to listeners, Senator, I want to I talk about uh, the role that you have played in trying to Kind of quash the 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 anger, I guess, and the and the the resentment of uh, of many people about the 2020 uh, presidential uh, election. You have investigated the results of the of that election and found that they were, in fact, not uh, the result uh, of fraud. There are a lot of people in your party, uh, a lot of your constituents, I imagine, as well who don't believe that give me a sense of how critical that that conflict is in your mind to to the health of the Republican party and uh, to your relationship with uh, with the Republican party does it does it make you wonder about uh, about being a Republican the, the the fact that this is such a central part uh, of of part of the party's message right now.
0: Yeah, it's a you know very fair question. I would start off by saying that, in my experience, since you know the the work that I did to investigate and the report that we put out in June of twenty one, um, that the vast majority of people who either identify as Republican or conservative voters that I encounter across my district. And across the state, are not malcontent and not hostile and not um, out there, you know, um, continuing to believe or or push forward with theories that um, that the election was stolen in twenty. The vast majority aren't there, but there's continues to be. Uh, a core group that is and it's not an insignificant uh, group but it's so it matters and it has you know taken to um, utilizing its political leverage through our party processes to really assert itself into at the county levels through being precinct delegates and now executive committee members and then you're seeing that work into the base that goes to the conventions. And, you know, they're using the system in order to push forward because they've believed that they've been disenfranchised, not just by the election in 20, but by the Republican Party and and the state and and government at large. And so they're, they're feeling trampled, they're feeling not listened to, and they're taking aggressive action to demonstrate otherwise. And meanwhile, a lot of the um, others in who I'm referring to that I talk to aren't that active in the party and don't feel the need to be. And those who've been long-time active in the party are not really prepared for this groundswell that's come up against them and, and are kind of wondering how, how did this happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I see happening. But it's the heart and soul of the party, to me, continues to be our founding principles and our ideals And I don't feel, like I said before, unwelcome or that the party can't handle all of these things, but um, truly does need to recognize that.
1: um, Well, I mean, one way to think about it, though, is, okay.
0: let's let's put
1: it this way. All three statewide candidates on the Republican Mm -hmm. side uh, were election deniers, Uh, Tudor Dixon, Matt DiPerno, Christina Caramo. So so, I mean, this is not a fringe part of. Of the party or of its that- politics. I mean, <laughs> this is a this is the core of uh, of of the ticket you presented to
0: voters, right? And this is why I said earlier that I don't feel like conservatism or the Republican Party, based on those values, is the reason why we lost the election. It's it's the poor choices that were made either through the primary process. Or but I guess the, the question is
1: is is how much has that that kind of uh, stance, that kind of politics, taken over the conservative party of the of the two. You know, when I have conversations with with my conservative friends, that's what they're worried about: is that that the party has yeah. become that. It, it, does that does that worry you as well?
0: It worries me that it could continue to grow that direction, and that we don't learn from how that plays out and and the lack of success that we had. I mean, we have to get to the point, and I share this with folks all the time, is that just because somebody is perfectly in line with your ideals and vision for where it should go doesn't mean that they're a good candidate. It doesn't mean that they can win the election, and it doesn't mean that they can even carry the message forward. So if we can learn from that, if we can recognize that, Um, It'll help rebalance those scales. Um, If we don't, then we're in trouble. But I still am optimistic that we'll learn from these things and that this push and pull will result in a stronger party going forward.
1: Mm. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue talking with uh, State Senator Ed McBroom. We're going to also add another Republican voice to the conversation. State Rep Steve Kara from uh, Three Rivers is going to join us and talk about his view of where the Republican Party is here in Michigan and nationally. Uh, We'll also get going with you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. Annika in Royal Oak, Brian in Detroit, Fred in Milford. Uh, We'll try to get to you uh, when we come back. If you want to join them on the phones, 313 577-1019 Five seven seven one oh one nine is the number. That's three one three five seven seven one oh one nine and again you can always go to Twitter and hashtag us and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We want to continue this conversation about the state Republican Party and conservatism. Uh, now, with another voice, another voice from uh, the elected ranks in Lansing, we have a Representative Steve Kara here with us. Uh, he recently started a new political action committee that is uh, designed to push the state party further to the right and reimagine the party in the image of Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, somebody who did really well on November 8th. Uh, the Three Rivers representative is here now to talk about why he's a Republican, where he thinks the party is going and where he is trying to push the party. Representative Kara, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Thank you, Stephen. appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah. So let's start with you defining uh, your brand of conservatism. What makes you uh, a conservative uh, and how do you, I guess, identify uh, as uh, a Republican and uh, a conservative in our state?
2: So to be a conservative, my understanding would be that you want to conserve or preserve the original intent of the U.S. Constitution uh, as it was amended uh, for the purpose of protecting the rights of the individual and to have a strong hesitancy to change or deviate from that original intent. And I think that is strongly the foundation of the Republican Party and the platform of the party. The problem is I think the, the Republican Party has moved too far to the left. It's been too passive. And it's been too timid as the radical left continues to move further and further away from the Constitution.
1: Um, And so where do you think the Republican Party uh, is headed right now? As I said, last month, uh, on November 8th, we saw voters in this state in particular do something they had not done in 40 years, which was to turn complete control of state government. And uh, lansing over over to Democrats, um, where does that leave? Where does that leave the Republican Party? And where does that leave those ideals that you're talking about, uh, this idea of preserving uh, the original meaning and intent of uh, of our Constitution?
2: Well, I think that good policy is good politics. And if we stand on the principles of the Republican Party more, and like you were saying, if we do more of the America first type of things like Ron DeSantis did down in Florida, you know, passing bills that Governor Whitmer is not going to be excited about and will probably veto, well, we could expose her for, for her stances if we just said, hey, let's pass a bill through the House and Senate that says no biological males competing in women's sports or no teaching sexual perversion to kindergartners through third graders. Uh, those are common sense things that I think the vast majority of Michiganders agree with. And this idea that why do it anyway, the governor's just going to veto it, I think is, uh, is bad policy. I think it's bad politics. And I think we did not excite our base enough and energize them enough off of principles that we as a party believe in to protect the individual from this radical intrusion of government in our lives. So
1: so those issues you mentioned, uh, I, I sat in front of the television, all fall and saw ads by uh, conservative uh, political action groups making exactly those points and trying to 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 say that uh, that Democrats wanted uh, you know some sort of. Radical reordering of of gender in in our schools, and that Democrats uh, uh, wanted wanted a, you know a, a, a abortion on demand or whatever, um, and and so I mean it's not that voters didn't get those messages. I mean we were we were we couldn't get away from those messages. Don't you feel like maybe voters rejected those messages?
2: No, I don't think it's that the voters rejected those messages. It's just difficult for them to apply a, a reason to be inspired by the Republicans or to be irritated by the Democrats or by the governor when our Republican elected officials did not fight for those messages like we should have. We should have passed it through the House, passed it through the Senate on a standalone policy bill and made the governor handle it. And if we either pressured her into doing the right thing or she were to veto it, we could expose her in that circumstance and we can inspire people why we need Tudor Dixon. But when Tudor Dixon and other people work off of a foundation of us not setting her up for success by us Republican leaders in the legislature getting those through our desks and to the governor's desk, we set her, Matt DiPerno and Christina Cromwell up for failure. Mm.
1: So uh, I, I wanna talk more about this grand new party that that you've started, uh, you, you want to make uh, the Republican Party com- promote candidates who are more like Ron DeSantis. Tell me what it is about Ron DeSantis that, that inc- excites you. Uh,
2: well, I mentioned a couple of those earlier. It's just standing on the principles of the Republican Party and what the base wants more. I think if you have a passionate and excited base that believes in you and your message, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of activists out there who are speaking favorably about what the Republican Party is working on. If we would have worked on those types of things, like I said, the biological males not competing in women's sports, protecting women from the violation of their ability to compete against other women, biological women in women's sports, that's something that's going to excite our base and our voters and they're gonna go out there and they're gonna talk at the dinner table and they're gonna talk when they go out to eat with their friends and family and they're going to be inspired and believe in the Republican Party and what we're fighting for but when we do things instead like increase a 60 uh, a budget from 61 billion two years ago to 80 billion in two years and you know give corporate welfare handouts to the politically connected that the governor is going to take credit for, you know, the centralized planning, picking winners and losers and creating jobs for a ruling elite. But she's going to spin it her way. Uh, we're setting us up for failure. We need to embrace true free markets, equal opportunity for all Michiganders and all businesses to thrive, regardless of their size, status and relationship with the lobby corps and Lansing.
1: So, uh, Senator McBroom, I want to uh, get you back into the conversation here and have you react to some of the things that Steve Kerr is talking about. Uh, what about these ideas of uh, passing legislation when when Republicans had control of the legislature to try to challenge uh, Governor Whitmer on some of these issues that we saw lots of commercials about during the campaign, but uh, the representative is right that the legislature never did uh, act on those things. Is that is that the right direction for the party? And is Ron DeSantis uh, sort of the beacon of of those kind of issues in your view?
0: Well, I think that there's, I think there's a good points on the arguments to make and that I, I would have been supportive of doing a number of these things and and leaving them on the governor to decide on. But I think it's, Uh, wrong to necessarily presume then that that would have automatically translated into um, the necessary votes for things or that um, candidates with other significant flaws would have somehow miraculously pulled through. Um, You know, there is a balance to all of these things that come in from not just what the party's doing, but how good the candidates themselves are being able to explain things. And one of the faults that we often have with some of these much more divisive social issues is who's better able to explain their answer and who's better able to explain their position. And uh, Mr. DeSantis is exceptionally good at it. He does a great job and he's able to cut through a lot of the misdirection that comes from the media or from other people who are opposing him on the Democratic side. And not everybody that we have in Michigan on issues, whether it's abortion or gender issues, are able to cut through and express themselves in a way that isn't waylaid and misunderstood then by those who are listening to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. We've got uh, quite a few folks who want to participate here. Let's start with Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to the show.
4: Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Good. How are you? All right. OK, speaking of I would have some other talk with to talk about but well, speaking of Ron DeSantis, he did go out and have the police arrest a lot of voters prior to the election and then later on drop the cases just to scare off people from voting. I mean, is, is that the guy you want to run the country? I don't think he's a good person at all.
1: A great, uh, great question, uh, Brian. Um uh Steve Kara, I'll start with, with, with you. What about the things uh that 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 a lot of people would say were voter suppression that DeSantis indulged uh, in Florida in the run up to uh, the election and the way that uh, that may have discouraged lots of lots of Democrats from voting?
2: So I don't agree with Governor DeSantis on all the issues just like I don't agree with you know, President Trump on all the issues. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my hero in politics is Ron Paul, but I still have respect for a lot of the things some other people did. So in terms of voter suppression, if we look back to what, uh, what Jocelyn Benson tried to do in 2020, is she tried to say that you don't have the right to keep and bear arms on election day, that you can't take your, your gun in for security and safety reasons on you in your possession can't take it into the polls. Mm -hmm. Was that about safety and security? Or was her motive that she knew that those who carry have a propensity to vote more Republican? And if, say, 10,000 people were to be suppressed from voting because they say, well, if I can't vote on Election Day without caring, then I'm not going to vote at all. And let's just say 7,000 of them would have voted Republican and 3,000 of them would have voted Democrat. That'd be a 4,000-vote swing right there. Well, fortunately, the courts struck that down, just like they struck down four other things Jocelyn Benson tried to do. And I think that it's important for us to look at our state, but also look at the good things that happened in other states like Florida, and how I think that having that atmosphere of fighting for the principles of the Republican Party, I think, substantially benefited Florida. It's a swing state, and it went nearly 60% for governor DeSantis, whereas i think we were too passive here and we didn't excite our base enough hmm. uh,
1: yeah the 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 question about uh, having arms at a polling place is a little different though from questioning qualifications to vote right i mean what she was saying was you can't bring your gun into the polling place that's not the same thing as saying you can't cast a vote
2: is it I don't know of Governor DeSantis saying that you can't cast a vote. That's, that's well, rounding people up for
1: voter fraud uh, and then later dropping the charges uh, is a way of of preventing them from being able to cast a vote, isn't it?
2: I would have to look into the details. Of what exactly you guys are talking about with that? And I'm yeah. not an expert of what all's going on in Florida. I know more about what Jocelyn Benson has done, the five lawsuits that she lost, the fact that three of them were not enforced properly throughout the state. I know more about the dynamics here in Michigan uh, than what you guys are talking about down there.
1: Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Annika in Royal Oak. Annika, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Stephen. Good morning. Hi, it's Anka, Hi Anka. And we have I'm sorry. a beautiful, glorious day today and for everybody, of every political persuasion and belief. And I want to uh, thank these brave gentlemen for appearing on your show, because of course we know that the opponents of Nestle, Benson, and Whitmer declined to appear. Um, I-, I want to uh, thank the senator for acknowledging the results of the election um, and, uh, you know, and remind him that uh, in the past, I don't think that there were ever any kind of election deniers that were given any kind of credibility. Um, so... <clears throat> I'm interested in knowing, um, you know, the senator discussed his reasons for being a conservative and a Republican. And um, I, you know, I see this as a, you know, this whole idea of returning to the good old days, you know, but, uh, Mm. you know, that's 200 years ago. I kind of like an explanation about that. And also, um, I want to know why the senator's find it necessary to be involved in a woman's choices and then action, Mm. as it doesn't affect them, all right? And why they they have an interest in controlling uh, people and the bodies, it seems to be a common theme, Mm. and I got to commend Brian for discussing uh, Governor DeSantis, because, you know, that definitely seems something that is running through the uh, neocons. And um, Republican Party at the moment. Yeah. And then uh, okay, finally, I, uh, I want to know which schools were teaching perversion, and what was the perversion? Was that yeah. the perversion okay, of controlling, I, promoting violence against? Okay, I,
1: the don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to get back to, our, I guess, to, to answer at least some of your questions. And and the one that I'm particularly interested in uh, discussing, especially with that McBroom, McBroom, is this uh, invocation of. I guess originalism—you might call it uh, this idea—that uh, there are ideals that were included in the Constitution, not just originally but as amended—that uh, that you feel we have strayed from. Uh, this is a pretty, this is a pretty uh, important sticking point, I think, in the difference between uh, liberals or progressives and and conservatives. Ed, I, I want to give you a chance to talk much more about uh, about that and why you think that the values of 200 years ago uh, are somehow uh, or somehow should be controlling or dominant over the way we do things
0: now. Well, thanks. I would say that, and, and I appreciate the, the nice the compliment earlier, but from the listener, I would say that it's not about fighting for the good old days because there never were any good old days. I mean, that's, you know, this was just a mischaracterization of things. There were mm-hmm. problems then, just like there's problems now. There were things we can look back on and say, I can't believe they thought those things were okay. And 200 years from now, people will look back at us today and say the same thing. Um, it's, it's about the ideals and it's about the principles that set America apart in the first place, in the founding. And the ideas of, inalienable rights of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And it's about recognizing as the founders did at that time in in a world that was full of political and social turmoil and upheaval, same as we have now, that individual liberty and freedom and creating a system where those um, values are protected from government instead of being doled out by the government are the ideals the the ideal way to run a society and to maximize the protection of freedom for the individual um, liberty and keeping uh, peaceful transitions of power through a political process and so when we talk about originalism and fighting for those founding values and where we've strayed from that you know really starts off with how processes have changed and how we are strained from the processes and the walls, if you will, that those founders set up in our constitution and in our laws to protect those individual freedoms. And we've always recognized from the very beginning that to have a society that cooperates together and we tax and, and then use that to run a military or a post office and build roads, that there is an infringement on everybody a little bit. It's how do you minimize that to the maximum extent So that people have the freedom to speak. They have the freedom to go where they please, start the businesses they want, raise their families the way they want. Mm. And how do we protect those ideals with as little infringement as possible?
1: Yeah, Uh, I I have to say, uh, Senator, I I think that is one of uh, the most substantive and and somewhat eloquent uh, descriptions of you know that way of thinking of uh, our history and and our and our current politics, and I really appreciate that that you took the time. Uh, to answer that question that way. Okay, Uh, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Ed McBroom, a state senator from the UP, and Steve Cara, uh, representative from Southwest Michigan. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Frank in Livonia, Fred in Milford, Mark in Detroit, Martha in Ortonville. We'll try to get to you next as well. You can join them at 313 577 One oh one nine. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Steven Henderson and as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. We're talking right now with State Senator Ed McBroom and State Rep Steve Cara. They are both Republicans uh, who represent uh, different parts of our state in, in Lansing. We're talking with them as part of our uh, series of conversations. Uh, with conservatives and Republicans about the state of conservatism and the Republican Party right now. As always, uh, we want to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. And of course, uh, you can always go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. Before we get back to listeners, uh, Representative Kara, I want to talk about uh, a, a point that our previous caller, Anka uh, made and something that someone has posted on social in response to that. Uh, it's a tweet from you um, that says, get rid of the public indoctrination camps referred to as, quote, schools. Uh, and it might happen. It's uh, it's uh, a reference to a meme that involves uh, uh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, the tweet is. And, and you did s- say that you've Felt like um, uh, the, there was this this radicalization, I guess, taking place. I, I, I want to give you a chance to talk more about what you're specifically referring to uh, because I don't see that. I don't see that in the public schools, uh, and I'd like to know where you think it's happening.
2: Well, I think it's happening throughout the state, and when I go around in my community, I've talked uh, – in some of the public schools talked about government the three branches of government uh, things of that nature i can't go through the hallways i don't believe there's a single one maybe one so if i went to it was about eight or nine schools there was social justice warrioring plastered in the walls or visibly in one of the classrooms as i walked to the classroom i was going to with some type of social justice warrioring in the classroom. Social justice, social justice,
1: what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that last word. Social justice, lawyering,
2: lawyering, lawyering. Yes, right. So, you know, flags or banners, like a transgender flag that's up there, you know, And, and I think it's important for people to understand, we should be treating everybody with dignity and respect, regardless of the life decisions they make. But Is the underlying reality of this push to have these types of things in our schools about treating people with dignity and respect, which I certainly believe that we should, or is it about secularizing society, destroying Christianity, and making us more obedient to a secular government? I have my answer as to which of those two I believe it is, and I have grave concerns with this push on our society. Mm-hmm.
1: And and so, what would you what would you do? Uh, this idea, as you say, of getting rid of uh, public indoctrination camps, as known as schools. What does that mean?
2: Well, yeah, and, and I and I think in terms of the curriculum too. You know, I mean, we'll hear that critical race theory is not taught in our schools, but what do they just call it diversity equity and inclusion uh, are they using Those are the two really program? different things. The trails program making people feel like they're a victim because of the color of their skin or making people feel guilty because of the color of their skin when they didn't do anything wrong. We can teach the kids about the mistakes of people in the past but mm-hmm. to, to have all this negative energy and this this push on people that because of their color of their skin they are either have that negative energy in them that they're a victim or have that negative energy in them that they're guilty, I think is a recipe of setting our kids up for failure.
1: So so would you not teach about equality and social justice in public schools? I mean, that is the answer, right, to the oppressive and exclusionary history that we have in the, in the country, right? I mean, uh, I guess I don't know what the What what another answer would be to those things?
2: Another answer would be that everybody should be treated fairly, equally, appropriately. But I think that's what they're saying, isn't it? No, they're going about it from the wrong way. They're they're making people feel guilty or victimized uh, because of their situations. What I'm saying is very different, incredibly different, and that's the important thing for people to understand. If we say everybody should be treated equally and fairly, whether they're a, a, a boy or a girl regardless of the color of their skin. And if anybody is not being treated fairly, that that's unacceptable. That is not the American way, that's unacceptable. But you work from that foundation of of treating people equally with that positive focus, mm-hmm. and, and identifying and, and, and stopping where things are wrong. But to push an agenda and a narrative on people and make make these kids feel uncomfortable about who they are off of confusing things from the past that they don't fully understand, and then they've got this guilt laid across them or this uh, victimized feeling laid across them uh, is setting them up for failure. Mm.
1: It's it's an interesting perspective. It's not one I... Can relate to obviously, but I but I do appreciate you you elaborating on that and explaining uh, why you feel the way you do. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, let's go to Martha in Ortonville. Martha, welcome to the show.
3: Hi. Hey. Um, thank you, Stephen, and good morning. Um, I he, he keeps bringing the the, the the Republicans keep bringing up the success of DeSantis. And what I have heard listening to the radio in the past couple weeks is Ron DeSantis didn't get any more votes in the Florida governor election this time than he did four years ago. It's just that this time the Democrats stayed home.
1: Uh, That's actually true. Uh, In terms of numbers, uh, I, I think the question is, why did Democratic voters not come out uh, in, in Florida? Was it that uh, you know Charlie Christ, who was the the Democratic uh, nominee for governor, would didn't excite them? Or, or is it that Florida has has you know made these efforts to make it harder for some people to vote? and that that has uh, suppressed uh, Democratic turn? I, I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, I don't I don't live in Florida either. Uh, but but I think it's an important it's an important question, Martha. I'm glad you called uh, and and raised that issue. Let's go next to Mark in Detroit. Mark, welcome to the
4: show. Hey, good morning. Hi. Yes, I uh I, as I uh, told the other person who I, when I called in the last two callers basically covered everything that i want to say especially the one when it comes to constitutional originalism and things of that nature he basically took the words right out of my mouth okay. but i do want to say in regards to a couple of things um 20 years ago michigan had uh a governor by the name of john engler john engler basically with the, the his way of doing politics and things of that nature um his predecessor today is the governor of Florida. And so Ron DeSantis. So Michigan has already had its Ron DeSantis. You see what I'm saying in the person of, hmm. of John Engler. That's an interesting We have come a long way since then. Yeah. Uh, and
1: the Mark, I don't want to I, I don't want to cut you off but we're going to run out of time but that's a really interesting way to think about that and I want to get uh, I guess to, to respond uh, Ed McBroom I'll start with you. What do you think of Mark's analysis of of DeSantis and Engler?
0: Well I, I I guess I'm not necessarily seeing significant difference between the two if that's what he's saying. I guess yeah, I'm, I think I'm it is what to,
1: he's saying, but he's saying we've moved on from that point.
0: Well, I uh, you know, I've had a lot of my own differences of opinion with Mr. Engler too. We're mm-hmm. we're all we're all going to have different opinions with with leaders, but I mean fundamental to his perspectives ideologically I, I would certainly say the country is still very divided between supporting folks like Mr. Engler or Mr. DeSantis and and their ideologies and people who don't so yeah. I don't think that we've moved on I think we're very much having the same struggles that we've had for uh, 200 years yeah. you know you can go back right to the founding where we had strict constructionists and and non-strict constructionists viewpoints of how it should work yeah
1: Uh, Steve Carroll, we've only got about 30 seconds left, but I I do want to get your quick reaction to that.
2: Uh, I don't don't have too much I want to say on that in the last 30 seconds. I want to cover (laughs) and say something I thought Senator McGroom spoke very well on the original intent and from a a focus of freedom. And I think some listeners will probably be confused on where Senator McGroom and I get our strong pro-life convictions but your freedom stops, I believe, when it infringes on somebody else's rights.
1: Well, another person. And, and that's the that's the thing that would divide us is how you define a person. And that's and the, science, the science and religion have different ideas. And I, I would love to get more into that. But we are out of time, Steve.
2: And and the and biologist has spoken
1: 96%. I, so I, 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 I do really appreciate both of you coming on the show to have this discussion. It was really great. Thanks, thanks for being here. Thanks
0: so much, Steve. Have a great day. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yes. Thank you.
1: All right, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll be back on Monday. I hope you will, too. We'll talk then.